0: the default thinking that every person should have should be that every app a kid uses has a doorway to the internet to a hidden Google search bar that they don't know about that should be the default thinking until you prove otherwise because 9 out of 10 apps that are on all the iPhones or Android devices that are you know in this room right now I bet I could get to a Google search bar that will not obey many of the other parental controls you may be enabled on the device, like restrictions or things that will allow me to get to inappropriate content. The internet was made for access. Everything we try to do as parents and as youth pastors and educators is going against the very purpose of the internet, which is to provide information as quickly as possible to as many people as possible.
1: I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this... Is the Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. All
2: right, we're going to jump into a great conversation with Chris McKenna online safety expert, former youth pastor, can speak to a lot of different worlds that can help us understand and navigate these waters that we're in, often dangerous waters for students when it comes to their behavior and their patterns uh, online, where they're going and what's going after them. Chris comes from a great background in this area. And Jason, as we were talking about this, this is our most regular guest in 10 seasons of the thought factory and he always has he's just always on his game when it comes to this content
1: i agree he is one of my favorite guests in the studio or online because he provides such wealth of knowledge in regards to the the digital age the digital life that students are walking through and he is always up to date he is in tune with what's happening on every app every device and that is really what protect young eyes is all about he is about looking at all the access points that students have online and how can we protect them so that they're not being sent into danger he is the founder of protect young eyes he is the creator of the protect app which is a new app that you could download from the app store check it out he is the creator of fix app ratings movement and that's a a a movement of getting apps rated appropriately and he is featured in a documentary called childhood 2.0 one that you should definitely check out.
2: So we want to encourage you if you want a regular uh, stream of resources when it comes to students and technology, go to the protect young eyes website, subscribe to the email. Jason and I both do that personally. It's a, it's a great uh, stream of content that Chris is always offering being on the front edge of, of protecting our kids when it comes to technology. This conversation we had a little ways back in one of our earlier seasons, and it's powerful, and we thought right now, with everything happening in COVID and how it's accelerated some things and some behaviors in students, this this conversation we had is more important than ever, and we wanted you to hear it.
1: This episode makes the top three episodes in our entire Library of episodes. This is one of the most popular episodes. So it's definitely worth listening to
2: for our next episode We're going to talk about faith and reason that continues to be an issue in our culture and with students as We're facing emerging generations that are coming into faith in different ways and from different perspectives And we're going to talk about the connection and the disconnection between faith and reason between logic and between theology and belief. We have a great guest in our studio today. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about who this person is?
1: I am super excited to have... The Chris McKenna in our studio today. And for those who don't know who Chris is, Chris began his acting career at the tender age of seven. And many would know him from One Life to Live. He was on that television series at the age of 12 and he has gone on to act in numerous roles uh, during his three-year stint, Chris was nominated for a Soap Opera Digest Award as Outstanding Child Actor and Two Young Artist Awards for Best Young Actor in a Soap Opera and Best Young Actor in a Daytime Series. Even though he's no longer a child, I still will give you a lot of credit for all your acting awards. So is this the r- same guy?
2: Chris McKenna? Well, I, Soap didn't Opera? Looked,
1: I didn't look on, on Google for his picture, but... I think you've got the wrong guy here. I you did this last time no i just i just google search the guests that we're gonna have and i just assume that we have these a-listing type of <laughs> people coming into our studio so chris we don't uh, expect anything else uh, right.
2: yeah well i'm confused here chris why don't you tell us a little bit about if this is true and who you really might be so you're not are six, we off or on or six is this three. you
0: well, I'm going to direct the rest of this conversation at you, Jeff, since you clearly know a lot I, more about what's going on. I do the research. <laughs> more in touch I sw- with reality. You, you don't
1: specify bad. who these people are. You
0: I do just, what every kid does. You just, just Google, Google it. it. Exactly. He knows. That's, I know.
1: That's the
2: I whole know. thing. That's the whole problem, Jason. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's right.
0: Perfect segue.
2: On the Thought Factory. <laughs> That's right. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about
1: yourself.
0: Yeah, my name is Chris McKenna, and got that right. That got much is true. That, that much we've so already established far, so Google was
1: correct. Um, you were uh, seven at one point, right?
0: I. You also got that part. Okay. Tender age of seven. I can't say that's an adjective that's been often used to describe myself. Anything but... beyond meat. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, Ben. Um, Born and raised in Michigan, and um, got a family here. We have four young kids, and right in the middle of what we're going to talk about here, I'm trying to raise them how to use technology and trying to teach others about it. But that's not the path I ever intended to be on. God has a great sense of humor, and started off in business, worked at Ernst & Young for a little over a decade, and enjoyed that. It was a good, fast, business-paced life, but was called into full-time youth ministry, I could point to the spot under the 131 overpass on Pearl Street where I learned that very clearly, that that was the direction God was leading me as I was walking out to my car, parked where is now the YMCA, and left my position at Ernst Young and went to work full-time at Cornerstone Church where I led junior high ministry for a little over six years. And then for the past year, I've worked in a couple of roles, but in um, marketing for an internet safety company, but then also started a business of my own, Protect Young Eyes, which really birthed out of what I was hearing from a lot of parents in youth ministry, which was, Chris, help. My kid knows more about their device than I do. Help me understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what started off as a PDF document, which became a closed Facebook group, ultimately became a business and a website and a ministry to educate and help as many families as possible. So again, never the path I expected to be on, but I'm sure many who are listening and even Jason and Jeff here, could probably you could probably relate to some of those God surprises that ultimately end up being pretty awesome.
2: Absolutely. And Chris, we've known since his days in youth ministry, been connected, both Jason and myself, did a fantastic job, was a stellar youth pastor, very strong youth ministry, left a great legacy at that ministry. I know a little bit about that ministry just personally from a connection, but we're grateful for that. You've been a successful person in what you've done. And we love hearing about what you're doing now. Was a part of a little bit of your story, just knowing it in your transition out of a local church youth ministry into what you're doing now. And so we want to talk about that today, about this ministry and your passion in this area. So Protect Young Eyes. You talked about that, protectyoungeyes.com. That's your website. That's right. And there's incredible resources on that we want to direct you to that right away we want to mention this website several times because this has so much great information so you shared briefly about its creation how it started tell us a little bit more your story how this all got going
0: yeah you know, i shared kind of the, the the professional side of how things fell into place but personally um you know, I I'm I'm a man who, like many, but has tried to be very open with the fact that um, pornography is a part of my past and a part of my um, weakness. But having transformed away from that, there now in the digital age, knowing there's a huge opportunity to use, and it's not my own phrase. I heard it from a pastor named Jacob Aranza. He said, "It's awesome when God takes misery and turns it into ministry." And I feel like for me, what was a real miserable stage of my um, adulthood and childhood, and that was cycling in and out of um, sort of addictive periods of time and consuming internet pornography, that to be able to speak to parents and to kids as to what that can look like, not in a way of drudging up the past, but in a way of God has a better plan for how we should use this gift of technology. I don't... When I speak, it's always out of a heart of technology is a good thing if we use it in a good God-honoring way. The enemy loves to take good things and twist them for his purposes to deceive us into thinking what is this is that. He's a master at this to that. And I want kids to look at technology as the this is good. This can be a good thing. And... I've traveled a few of those that paths, those paths that took me away from what can be a good thing. I want to warn you away from those. And here are some experiences. So it's, it's birthed out of a desire to help, but that desire to help goes way back into some early exposures. Um, In elementary school, when I was exposed to things through magazines, you know, like a lot of guys, but I just, I find that I was drawn to it in a way that became very unhealthy. And so The internet then allows consumption of inappropriate content at a number of different levels in a way that none of us really, you know, say us, old guys in their 40s, say like me, who can say that it's different the way that the enemy can come at our kids today. The doorways to reach the hearts of our kids in inappropriate ways are exponentially greater than the doorways that existed when I was a child. And so... Yes, use technology. Yes, embrace and it in ministry. Yes, embrace it in the home. But understand that using tech is a constant risk assessment and making sure that we're directing our kids to use it and our parents and our staff, whatever role you find yourself in, to use it in a good way. It takes intentionality. So, I talk, when I speak to parents and educators and others, I talk about, you know, there's three places that we can land when it comes to how we use our technology. All the way on the left is the fear-based approach of, it's horrible, it's evil, I want to bubble wrap my kids and my students, and we're just not going to use it at all. That's not a productive place to be, because it does not prepare kids for the reality of the digital age that we live in. On the way right side, there's the, I'll babysit kids with screen time and let them figure it out on their own approach, which is also not productive. Because there are way too many on their own paths that kids will stumble into and they're just not ready to handle. A lot of adults aren't ready for it either, but there's a spot in the middle that is the sweet spot between those two that requires you to push against fear and to push against pressure of culture and to do the hard work in the middle. And it's hard, so I want Protect Young Eyes to be a way to eliminate some of the excuses and our educational ministry to eliminate some of the, I don't have time, I don't know where to start. Okay, I get that, but I'm going to point you in this direction to encourage you to do the hard work in the middle. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a youth pastor or a police officer working in the community, there's hard work in the middle to help our families to use technology well. And so that's why, a little more behind why it exists.
1: And in previous episodes, we've talked about the technology and how even the smartphone was is only about 10 years old. That's right. And we hand that over to teenagers without any guidelines, without any uh, former training in a sense, but it gives them access throughout the world and through things that they shouldn't be exposed to. And so what I love about Protect Young Eyes is that you're doing a lot of the harder work for us uh, parents and adult leaders to do the hard work, if that makes sense. Like you you are saying if you are aware of what's happening through this piece of technology, through the internet, through this various devices that they are, are engaging with, if you're aware of some of these traps, then you have done the research. You're presenting that to parents, to youth leaders and saying, if you're aware of that, then it makes that hard work a little bit easier. And that's why I love, I love protect young eyes, Mainly because I have young kids and I, I'm already aware of yeah. their desire to be on the device and the iPad and on my phone. And, and it's, it's going, I, I want to limit the screen time, yep. but I'm not going to eliminate the screen time. So when they are on the screen time, how are we protecting them as yeah. parents?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And having heard your presentation at
2: a public school, right. I, was, I was grateful to be in that audience yeah. to hear you. One of the things you talked about, you mentioned several websites or apps, and which ones had doorways into pornography. You mind sharing yeah. a little bit about that? I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it's
0: one of the. I think it's the third slide I put up on the screen after an introduction, and then I quizzed the audience on, you know, what's the legal age for kids to have their own social media accounts, and you know, a lot of people know that's age thirteen. I would put out in an audience of youth pastors to be very aware of that. You know, I fell into this trap too. It's sometimes easy in youth ministry to get caught up in the trendiness of tech, but please don't encourage your sixth graders to open their own social media account because I I find that to be a little um, disingenuous. And it just I'm just not an advocate of kids under 13 and sometimes under 15 having their own social media. They're just not ready for it. So I think sometimes as youth pastors, having been in that world, We can fall prey to the, hey, let's everyone jump on the social media bandwagon. So it's sort of an aside, but that third slide is I put six app icons up there. I think it's the Bible app, Pokemon Go, Pinterest, um, the Weather Channel, the Delta Airlines app, and one other. And I asked the audience, how many apps up here, if I try hard enough, could I find hardcore pornography? And they usually think it's a trick question, so they say, well, all of them, all six of them. And I say, well, it's actually five. The only one I can't get to porn on is Pokemon Go. But yes, through Delta Airlines and yes, through the Bible app. And I go through this exercise to show them how the default thinking that every person should have should be that every app a kid uses has a doorway to the internet, to a hidden Google search bar that they don't know about. That should be the default thinking until you prove otherwise. Because 9 out of 10 apps that are on all the iPhones or Android devices that are You know, in this room right now, I bet I could get to a Google search bar that will not obey many of the other parental controls you may be enabled on the device, like restrictions or things that will allow me to get to inappropriate content. The internet was made for access. Everything we try to do as parents and as youth pastors and educators is going against the very purpose of the internet, which is to provide information as quickly as possible to as many people as possible. And so it's again. It's just that awareness. It's not horrible. I'm not saying don't book your airlines through the Delta app or don't use the Bible app. And just saying be aware <laughs> that there are ways that kids can use these if we haven't had direct and honest conversations with them about some of the dangers.
1: And I I remember having either a conversation with you or coming across uh, your resources, a blog post about um, kid games and the links at the bottom that you don't realize some of them are links directly to hardcore porn and it's under the disguise of a game but there's so many of them that kids typically kids young as 5 6 are just clicking these right. these links and then all of a sudden something pops up and so even to be aware of of the the apps the games right. you know you think they're innocent but kids are typically just trying to figure out what a touch screen is and they're clicking around going touch i don't know around. exactly how this game works, but by touching it here, I jump by scrolling over here, you know, and, and they've figured out a way to get kids access to things that they shouldn't be looking at.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely true. So um, we can help parents in that way to talk about apps and make sure that before any kid uses an app that a parent has used it for seven straight days what you'll see after seven straight days is what starts to happen with pop-ups that you may not see and using it just for seven minutes. Hmm. What starts to happen with additional content, it starts to show you as you continue to play it, because there's sometimes a progressive nature that the app is learning how you use it. So it'll show you other things. So it's sort of the seven day rule for every time you want your kid. And I, I use 15 is sort of my new number. Anybody under 15 who wants to use an app as a mom or a dad or a youth pastor, a recommendation should be to use it for seven days first. Don't just download it and not use it. Play with it for seven days. And then extrapolate that experience to your 14-year-old and ask, is he or she ready for all of the different environments that I just experienced?
1: So, Chris, what is the primary concern you hear from parents today?
0: Yeah, so what I've been trying to do, I'll send out a survey monkey before an event those who have registered for it just to ask them this general question and their choices range from screen time to inappropriate apps their kids might use or pornography inappropriate content and so far um, the parents that have filled out the survey the primary concern of them is their young child running into inappropriate content um, pornography of some kind and people define that in a lot of different ways but however they perceived inappropriate in that context, it seems to be the overriding concern that parents have. And it's a valid concern. Um, that Kids are especially, I mean adults too, but kids are especially vulnerable to porn because of the way that their brains are wired. And so we have to be extra careful to protect an 8-year-old from seeing porn. Yes, we don't want 18-year-olds or 28-year-olds to see it either. But there is a neurology in 8-year-olds with their mirror neurons that encourages them to practice whatever they see that's why they learn so quickly whatever you model for them as an adult they are going to try to through gross motor act out what they see whether it be through spoken language and fine motor or gross motor with their body they're built that way to learn that's why they soak up and learn things faster than adults that makes it so critical to protect them because when they see pornography, it becomes something they want to do, which is why nationally and internationally, you're seeing this horrible increase in the number of peer-to-peer sexual conduct cases that are being dealt with, with law enforcement and child safety officers and others. Not because these are bad kids. These aren't kids that are like growing up to be, or, or, or that were born predators. That's not it. They are simply seen with the average age of first exposure being 8, 9, 10 years old. They're seen and then they're doing because that's what their neurology is compelling them to do. And so parents are correct in having that as a primary concern. And we need to do whatever we can to protect our own children, but also equip our parents to have tools to protect their kids so that they can prevent those kinds of early exposures.
2: So, Chris, on the ProtectYoungEyes.com site, you've got lots of resources for parents. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you have on there and how they can help. Because as you know, as, as if you're listening to this podcast, we're talking to primarily youth workers. And one of the roles that we play is to help parents. That's right. So what are the resources that you have on the website?
0: Yeah. Between two primary places, both the website, which is going to be content that's updated fairly frequently because it's changing so often, but also through our Facebook page where we're posting almost daily. We're scrubbing you know, the internet and different sources for different trends in tech and how teens and others are using tech. And so we post out there regularly. The two most visited parts of the website is the app risks section, which is if you go to it, it's just a, a grid of apps that explain then how kids use them, what's the app source, say it's rated. Here's a video that shows you how kids use them, what some of the risks are, and kind of what my bottom line is for it at Protect Young Eyes. And that's obviously constantly being updated. There's also a spot where we go through all the parental controls for devices that kids use, whether it's a Mac or a PC, Android, you know, iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Kindle, Chromebook, I'm trying to get a Nintendo Swift so I can count it as a business expense. I haven't quite done that yet. but DS, smart TVs, whatever devices exist, making sure the parents know that they're all internet ready. right this This isn't the Michigan Wide Web or you know the United States. This is the World Wide Web. That PlayStation is connected to the World Wide Web and so enable the parental controls that come on it. And that's another very popular section so that parents respect the power of those devices and to use the tools that often just come with them. They just need to be used.
2: Now, I know you've mentioned this. I think it'd be worth our audience hearing about great apps that are entryways for young users. Yeah, You've mentioned that. I think two maybe in particular. what
0: Probably the most popular elementary school social media platform that I see used right now is Musical.ly which is this 15-second looping, lip-syncing. And it is social media. Kids need to be 13, yet repeatedly as I go to elementary schools, a large percentage of third, fourth, and fifth grade. And it's problematic because it's primarily girls who are using this app too young and as girls are more vulnerable to predatory activity. And so, I mean, one of the realities that all kids live in, and I talk about five realities with parents, the... um. The third reality is that wherever the kids are is where the predators are. Because if I'm a sexual predator and I know that there's an app that is primarily used by third and fourth and fifth grade girls, that's where I'll spend my time. And so there's a great danger in apps that are like that used by young kids who aren't old enough, aren't ready, and are vulnerable to those sort of activities. I mean, as youth pastors, obviously the the battle of the giants right now is Instagram and Snapchat, who are just continuing to copy each other, they are essentially the same app now that Instagram has inserted into its stories and videos and pictures, all the disappearing aspects of Snapchat. There's really nothing different between them. And so parents typically had sort of an inherent fear of Snapchat and Instagram was always viewed as the benign entry point for my sixth or seventh grader. It's just pictures. It's no big deal. It's, not just pictures anymore. And I, I would argue that there are very few kids under age 15, and parents don't like this because it forces them to rethink what they allowed, and kids really don't like me saying this, but there are very few kids who I think are mature enough and equipped enough to handle the risks of both Instagram and Snapchat who are under age 15, to be perfectly honest, that in five clicks I can get to hardcore 15 second looping video sex in Instagram breaks my heart. Right. And so all of them have ways to get to the internet and to Google and Instagram through the blog. I can get to Tumblr and now search. And we all know what Tumblr is. It's rated mature for a reason. And so these are doorways that kids just aren't ready for. Um and way too many upper elementary and junior high kids. And I'll be honest, and I probably encourage some of that through how I use social media in junior high ministry. I wasn't aware of the risks until I started really digging into it. And so it's really become a passion of mine to not to condemn, but to equip youth pastors to know so they can maybe encourage their families to have honest conversations at home. This isn't a mandate for every family to go rip Instagram out of their seventh grader's hands. That's not it. But sit down with your seventh grader. And make sure you've told your parents to sit down with their seventh graders, to look them in the eye and say, you know what, hon, there's there's some parts of this app that I've now learned more about and our process is going to be one that I'm going to follow you and you may have a fake account. Yes, I know what a fake account is and I'm going to look through your followers and I'm going to look you in the eye and ask you things and prove to you that I know what I'm talking about because your youth pastor has informed me. Like here's the, the chain of information and education that can trickle all the way down to the kid say, I'm going to let you keep Instagram, but these are the boundaries. And if you go outside of them, I'm going to take it away. You're not going to like that, but I know more now and I want to help you use it well. So it's not a mandate to rip it out, but it's a mandate to get real and honest with kids about the risks and make sure parents know what to look for.
1: Now, you mentioned one of the realities facing young Internet users. What are a few of the other realities that come to mind when you think about young internet users? Yeah. So I've
0: already referred to pornography. It's um, being a former numbers guy. When I look at the numbers around internet porn, it's staggering. You know, and for us us as youth pastors, and and there's a whole nother conversation to be had about how difficult it can be to be a youth pastor who maybe struggles with porn. It's a whole nother conversation. But imagine like lay that on a 12 year old boy who is struggling with the internet with tenth of the tools that you have as a youth pastor to battle against internet temptation. The numbers around internet pornography are staggering. So just as an example, Pornhub is the largest pornographic website on the world wide web. All owned, every large porn website that exists is all owned by what is seemingly a benign company named MindGeek, which looks like just a software gaming company. They are the um, king of online internet porn. I wish they were out of business, but they're not. But Pornhub is their largest website, and for the year 2016, there was just over 5,246 centuries of time in internet porn video consumed on that website. 5,200 centuries of time, if you added up the minutes. 92 billion videos watched. So every man, woman, and child on planet Earth at just over 7 billion population could have watched 12 videos for one year on one website. So to say that porn is the norm, I think is a pretty comfortable statement to say when it comes to our technology, that it's always one click away is a reality. And so for parents who put a device in their kids' hands, out of a motivation of safety, I understand the heart. I have a 12-year-old. I get this, that I want to get in touch with her. And I want to reach her when she's babysitting or other things. Don't let that motivation override the reality of the what is probably a supercomputer 10 years ago <laughs> that you just placed in her hand and make sure that it's locked down appropriately. So that's one of the other realities that I'm quite passionate about because of my own history and wanting just to protect as many kids as possible.
1: You mentioned the neurological development That's right. For kids at this age. Could you go a little bit further into that topic or in describing what's happening in a young
0: mind? Yeah, that's really important to talk about, um, Jason, because the way that media preys on young, developing minds is very different than the two dimensional media that my generation consumed. Um, be in the form of magazines and other things. So technology is truly rewiring the brains of young people because developmentally their brains are at a point where through adolescence it is creating neurological pathways, looking for how to become an adult organ. And so it is vulnerable to change. That's why they act crazy. (laughs) The neurology that's going on inside of their brain is in this massive state of change. And so that change can either become directed towards positive or negative things depending on the stimuli that it is fed. Each of us were created in a way to customize our brains based on our individual experiences. It's fascinating. The human brain is unlike anything um, that God, it's just unbelievable the way that he has made us to be individually formed. And so that neurology is vulnerable to the way that technology directs it. And so 60 Minutes just last week, I would encourage every youth pastor to go to 60 Minutes and watch the segment on what they call being brain hacked. There's a reason that Snapchat created Snapstreaks. And it wasn't that they sat around and said, how can we help kids stay in better touch with their friends every day? That was not the purpose. The purpose of Snapstreak, like all the other playbooks that social media giants use, is to prey on our neurology. They want kids to use the app because by kids using the app, they make money. The way they get to make money is by having more kids use it. So you create anxiety in a child who is going to break their snap streak by not Snapchatting a kid, their friend, which produces cortisol in the brain. That cortisol creates an anxiety the brain wants to get rid of. The way I get rid of it is by checking my device and feeling better. Way thousands, of however long, whatever you believe. That was a good thing when I was being chased by lions, right? Cortisol was a good thing to preserve me and my clan or whatever was pursuing me. But they're preying on that neurology in kids to get them to stick with the device as long as possible. And adults are no different. When you post that picture from spring break of you and your family on spring break or feet by the pool, whatever situation you find yourself in, How do you feel when it gets 100 likes? If a youth pastor looks in the mirror and is really honest, you'll love it. That's because of the dopamine that's released when you get those likes and your brain's attached to that. That dopamine string is the same string that's attached to pornography that starts with dopamine and goes to norepinephrine and oxytocin and all these things on the sexual stimulus path. The reason we go towards things is because chemically the brain says, I like that and there are components of social media whether it's the anxiety i want to get rid of or the likes i get from feeling good i'm drawn towards CEOs at social media companies know all of this
1: what do you do if you only get 18 likes like how how do you get you know,
2: this how is theoretical you get, right the, jason theoretically
1: jason. i'm just asking for a, for a friend that has asked me that question if they they only receive 18 likes is is that a, is that is that a popular stance?
0: Like fifteen to nineteen is kind of the dork range, Oh. you know. So get to twenty. Like there, there's a tipping point. Okay, uh, twenty. You can let. Can you? Let, I'll let Jeff know. Yes. Let Jeff know that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That'd
2: be good. Thank you. So you've mentioned some of the realities here, and one of the questions I think we could ask is, we deal with a lot of students, and the overwhelming majority, they're all really good kids. Mm-hmm. Why do some good kids get into get off the rails
0: and get into some bad stuff? That's yeah, great. When I think back to the kids that I talked to who did things inappropriately online when I was in ministry, I mean they were all good kids. I'm sure a lot of the pastors listening to this would say, yeah, they're good kids. You know, unlike a lot of other environments where kids grow up, there are very few places other than driving and on my smartphone where the difference between being the exact right spot and the exact wrong spot is so razor thin. Like, So one of the phrases I use is when it comes to technology, the difference between awful and awesome is one click. And good kids can stumble into one wrong click. It's so easy. Um, and, And there are some attributes of technology that tempt even good kids to go down those paths or fall off the rails, you know, as you said. And again, I can't take credit for it. It was psychologist Al Cooper who said that inappropriate online behavior is fueled by a triple A battery, affordability, accessibility, and anonymity. Those are three attributes of inappropriate things that didn't exist in the 70s. If it was inappropriate, it probably cost money. Not so with the internet anymore. If it was inappropriate, I probably couldn't get to it because there was some barrier I had to go buy it at a store or something. There was some human barrier, not so with the internet. Anonymity, like that store example or having to go rent something, which meant that I had to go put money in front of somebody while I'm holding a pornographic video. Right? None of those barriers, those human-to-human sort of shame-inducing barriers, right we were we don't want shame i mean whether you're a believer or not most people don't want to feel shameful the internet removes all of those shame inducing barriers therefore i start to believe the lie that i'm not hurting anybody and nobody knows the two lies even as a kid that starts really early on whether it's porn or whatever it is sneaking into some app whatever it happens to be that anonymity, affordability, and accessibility cause a lot of good kids to make one wrong click.
1: So then, what is the the primary step as youth workers, as parents? How can we how can we help families in this space? How can we get them to not only recognize, but then start going down the road in the right right direction, but right spot, and and provide more tools in that sense?
0: Yeah. So. Um, in true sort of sermon outline format, probably three things that come to mind. It's enlighten, equip, and encourage. What I mean by enlighten is you've got to be really just honest with parents. There's no reason, like you, you can't get away from, if you're a middle school pastor or a high school pastor, you cannot avoid having a look them in the eye, direct conversation with your parents about pornography. We, just, we live in an age that you, you can't really get away with avoiding that topic or sexting, whatever it is. I, I say to parents, there's no such thing as passive parenting in the digital age, and there's no such thing as passive pastoring in the digital age, because if we don't answer our parents' questions as youth pastors or our kids' questions as pastors or as parents, then Dr. Google will. And his office hours are 24-7, And his morality is not often our morality. And so if we want to shed gospel light into this secular space of technology, we've got to look them in the eye and talk about weird, awkward, uncomfortable things, but in an honest, loving way. And then you encourage them to go do the same to their kids, to trickle those, look them in the eye, open, honest, persistent, consistent conversations. No more just one talk like I got but constant, consistent, persistent talks about all the things that parents never talk to us about and do that often. So that's the enlightenment, the um, the equipping, and just encourage them. Tell them you can do this. You are the primary disciplers of your children. I'm going to point you to some really good, specific... I can point you towards the pond. If you're thirsty for information, I'll point you towards the pond. Whether it's Common Sense Media or my website, Protect Young Eyes, there's a couple of places among the millions that have really good... God-honoring messages about how to protect your kids. I can't force you to go there, but gosh, I hope you do. And stay, you can do this, mom and dad. Encourage them, be their cheerleaders. And when kids, this is huge. When kids come to us sometimes as youth pastors, the temptation to look cool cannot override our call to hold up mom and dad. Meaning when a kid comes and has questions about social media and wants to use stuff, we absolutely cannot undermine what maybe we've told parents or what we know parents' rules are in trying to look cool around kids and how they use their tech. So when a kid will ask me sometimes when I speak to elementary schools you know, about um, a video that I've shown. I'll say, you know, hey, I got that from YouTube, but... I don't want you to go home and watch it unless your mom and dad have said that it's okay for you to watch YouTube. And it's a simple step, but I think it's an important step to make sure they know I'm deferring to mom and dad as the primary ones to put these boundaries out for the technology instead of saying, yeah, it's a cool video, man. Go to YouTube and watch it. It's awesome. You know, I I could do that, but I want to defer to whatever the rules are in that house. And I think as pastors, that's really important so the kids know, oh, yep, I need to go ask them first or make sure it's okay first before I might do that. And that just helps uphold parents in that important role that they have. So
2: so Chris, in hearing your presentation, one of the things you mentioned is two particular apps that are good starting places. So if parents are guiding their students into the digital world and into the app world, What are those two
0: apps and why do you recommend those? Kids should learn how to use social media, but there are appropriate ways to do that. One of the most recent blog posts that I wrote was titled, What's the Right Age to Give My Kids Social Media? And then what I do in that blog post is point to the fact that that's the wrong question. Age is not, it's probably the fifth determinant of whether or not a child is ready for social media. And so when I talk to parents and I tell them, you know, during the training phase, so my daughter right now is in the training phase, when she turns 13, that's when I'm going to start training her. She won't have social media of her own, but I'm going to start training her towards that 14 or so age. The two social media platforms that I will use, I'll pick one of them to train her, is either Pinterest or Facebook. And so when you look at all of them that are out there, whether it's Lively or Musical.ly or Snapchat or Instagram or Pinterest, whatever, Pinterest and Facebook are the two because Most of the time, apps themselves do not have parental controls. But I can control what goes on in a browser like Safari or to download a browser like Covenant Eyes on my device. I can control what happens there a lot more. In order to train my daughter, I want her to be able to see what the app environment looks like without being in the app itself. The environment of Facebook.com through a browser is fairly similar. To the Facebook app. It doesn't have all of the nice functionality of an app, but the environment of photos and liking and just the way that it operates with friends and so forth is similar enough that if I can train her how to be comfortable in the Facebook.com more controlled ecosystem and she can prove herself trustworthy in that ecosystem, then she earns app access. Same thing is true with Pinterest. Pinterest.com functions very as a very similar ecosystem as the Pinterest app. So if she can learn what it's like to have followers or ask her learn how did it make you feel that somebody pinned something that you put up there and I want to have these direct conversations again like she proves trustworthy proves that she can handle it emotionally doesn't seem impacted or upset or negative then she'll graduate to the app. But I'm never going to start or recommend starting a child in the social media world with an app. If I can't control it, then I can't train it. And apps don't allow that training ground that a browser-based environment does. And I can read all about that. That blog post is like all of my research on how to train a kid, how to use social media is, is in that one. That's a great one to share with parents, especially of junior high kids, if you're a junior high pastor, because it's a question they often have is, how do I train my kid?
2: Chris, in hearing your presentation live with a group of parents and even talking today, it can be so overwhelming, almost right. even to the point of depressing yeah, because of what we face. But we know we have a gospel that's hopeful. Give us an uplifting, encouraging word as youth workers here.
0: Yeah, that's right. For everybody who's listening, pick one thing. You know, I've I've been to big conferences where you come back with all kinds of info, and then you're just paralyzed. You don't know where to begin. Pick one thing put a night together, talk to parents, just start the conversation. Um, We have the awesome opportunity to shine the gospel into this secular space. You know, Jeff, when I was giving that presentation where you were at, I was limited at the public school in in using some language around how do we bring um, the good news into this message. There are all kinds of opportunities. I'll use porn as an example to say it's not just telling kids that porn is bad. It's telling them that God's gift of sex and sexuality is good. And when they know the good, when they know God's good design for relationships and how we're meant to be, then you hope that they're repelled by the bad. That doesn't compare to the good that I've been taught on. And so for us as youth pastors, to get comfortable enough with those conversations. You guys can do this. I mean, this has got to be our spot as youth pastors to um, to be able to, you know, to not only teach the kids about it, but then to give parents the right words and the right conversations to have. And, um, you know, don't be intimidated by, sometimes I'll hear youth pastors say, you know, I don't have kids, so how can I possibly teach parents on this stuff? No, you have a you have a relevant cultural background that you can speak from and find a mom who can come alongside you and maybe do a presentation together or she can share some practical and you can share some cultural. Don't let some of those whispers that I know can sneak in to prevent you from taking that next step. Just take the next step. There are very few things on earth today that are impacting the way that our kids are navigating relationships in life more than their technology. We cannot afford to be silent.
2: Chris, it's been a privilege to have you with us. You're an incredible resource, and your background makes you so effective in what you're doing. So we're grateful for your calling and ministry. We want to encourage you to check out the Protect Young Eyes website again, protectyoungeyes.com. Subscribe to the email newsletter. It's great. I do that. And Chris, we're excited as a ministry. We've mentioned on this podcast, as part of our ministry, we have never the same camp, NTS camp. And you've been a part of that as a youth pastor, actually. But we're partnering with you, and we're excited to have these resources that you're offering to youth workers and parents. So if you're listening to this and you're part of the NTS camp network across the country, you'll be interested to know that we're pursuing more and more opportunities with your ministry and some in particular this summer to students and youth workers. So we're excited about that.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're going to take what we present to middle and high schoolers and break that down into content that they can consume through the academies there at camp so they can walk away equipped and also equip parents of those kids to know how they can help over the summer because summertime presents different digital risks. We want to make sure that we help the kids there too. So I'm super excited for that opportunity, Jeff. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks guys.
1: The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.